Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm Mike Siegel, host of said podcast, and this is episode number 48 with my guest Paul Chu. And uh, wow, 48, coming up on the Big Five-O, and I don't know what I'm going to do yet for the Big Five-O. I think I should do something a little special, don't you? Sure, why not? If you got any suggestions, send them my way, and I will promptly reject those. No, I don't know. I'm always up for some new ideas. If you got ideas for guests, too, or maybe you want to be on the show and you're in the L.A. area, let me know. Give me uh, uh, an email at mike at traveltalespodcast.com. Maybe you want to say nice things. And hey, if you're in the mood to say nice things, why not go to our uh, link on iTunes? You can go to us on iTunes. You can click on the link uh, on our website at traveltalespodcast.com. And uh, click on the iTunes link, and if you want to help us out, give us a little, uh, maybe a nice review. Maybe you say something nice. A nice review, like uh, what Randy said. I'm going to read out a, uh, a nice thing that he wrote. The last interview by Mike of Jim Short was hilarious. All caps, hilarious. Actually, it's all caps, high areas, but I'm going to assume that typo meant hilarious. Uh, The comments made about mishandled luggage made me spit coffee on my keyboard. Keep up the good work, Mike. Uh, By the way, thank you, Randy. That's awesome. I appreciate you writing in. Well, you didn't write in. You just uh, put it on the iTunes. And that's uh, good because when you uh, give us a nice rating like he did, five stars. Awesome, Randy. Um, That helps people find the show. It moves us up in the uh, list of travel podcasts and uh, makes people find us easier. So uh, a nice review, and uh, that's awesome. And so, Randy, I really appreciate it. And uh, as any comic will tell you, uh, people spitting out liquid when they hear something funny is high praise indeed. So I appreciate that. As for me, my week has taken a little weird turn. I have uh, been put on a jury... I want to tell you all about it. I swore that I wouldn't. But uh, hopefully next week I'll have a little something to say about it because it's uh, it's odd. It's my first time serving on a jury. I've been, I've gone, I've reported, never got put on a jury. This time I'm on it. I'm knee deep in it. But um, yeah, kind of weird. And uh, maybe I'll have more about to say that next week. God, I hope so. Because if this runs in uh, over two weeks, I will be pissed, and I'm going to take it out on the defendant. No, that's not true. I won't do that. I am fair and impartial, if not. That's one great thing about this country. I I have little experiences like this where I, uh, as much as I tend to be critical of America, and I'm also full of praise for America, these are one of the things that... um, I praise America about uh, a jury of our peers, things like innocent and until proven guilty. We take these things for granted. Uh, freedom of the press is another one that uh, you don't really appreciate until you leave this country and you go to a place where they don't have those things. So whenever I can take part in the justice system, it's very easy for those of us who live here to go, oh, I don't want to serve on a jury. And I was kind of that way. But um, to know that you can be judged in a fair trial with a jury of your peers is, uh, is something we should never take for granted because it's, uh, it's a pretty special thing. And I feel like you should have the, the uh, you know, a hymn or something playing behind me. <laughs> Maybe the uh, you know, Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> anyway, uh, God bless America, folks.
Anyway, I digress. Randy, again, thank you for the nice review. And uh, tell about a million of your friends to tune in. And uh, for those of you listening, I appreciate it. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Travel Tales Pod at Twitter. And once again, the website, TravelTalesPodcast.com. Thanks. I will talk to you next week and enjoy my conversation with Paul Chu. I'm a traveling man, made a lot of stops all over the world and in every port I own. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm talking with Paul Chu, my former neighbor, but we've remained friends. We met in 1999. Yeah. And you still live in the old neighborhood. I have yeah. moved on. Yeah. And we are here in, uh, in my place. But I know you traveled a lot, so I wanted to uh, bring you here and give a little background people to, to the people. You are uh, originally from the Bay Area, Correct. Right? Correct. And your parents are Korean. Yes. Are they like first generation or they've been here a while? Well, I can never figure that out. It's either first generation or 1.5 generation or they're the zero generation and I'm the one generation. I'm okay. Not sure. they, so, emig- they emigrated here in the, in the 60s. Okay. So they are, they're born in Korea. Correct. Okay. So what was the atmosphere like in Korea when, when they came over? I mean, was the division already set? It was pretty, pretty uh, tense over there? Yeah. Well, the war took place in 1950 to 53. Right. And then... They, hey, I saw MASH. I yeah. know we were... And then they just... <laughs> that lasted way longer than the war itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it was just a devastated country. I mean, they they went from the center of the country all the way down to the bottom, all the way back up to the top, and all the way back down in the middle. And that's pretty much where it is today still. And did Uh, they have family in North Korea and they were separated? Well, back then, um, it was all one Korea. Yeah. Um, But as a result of the division in 53, uh, the town that my mom grew up in or was from originally uh, is actually on the north side of the border now. Oh, wow. Um, And my dad is from the extreme south. Um, from uh, Busan. Okay. Yeah, but they met in San Francisco. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So when people think of like an Asian immigrant immigration in San Francisco, it's mostly predominantly Chinese, right? Uh, yeah, because they brought the Chinese over to build the railroad in the 1800s. Yes, for the, for the railroads. But Koreatown here in L.A., which is right down the street from me, yeah. is uh, I think they said it's second only to Seoul in Korean population. Yeah, it's but, massive. Well, Koreatown. Had, well, they say the Koreans in uh, Southern California, there's over a half million of them, which is the largest concentration outside of Korea. Yeah. But if you actually go to Koreatown now, there's probably more Central Americans. And... <laughs> right. No, there is true. Because all the Koreans have now moved on to like Santa Clarita, Fullerton. Oh, they've moved to the Burbs like yeah, everyone else. Yeah, they've gone to Gardena. They've gone to Garden Grove. And, now, Garden uh, Grove, I thought, was all like mostly Vietnamese. Uh, Little Saigon is, uh, is all Vietnamese. So Westminster... Um, like Bolsa and uh, I think Bolsa West, yeah, Westminster Boulevard, those streets around there are mostly Vietnamese. So did you grow up going back and forth to Korea or did you go later in life? Um, I'd say I'd been Korea maybe three, four times between the time I was born and then the time I turned 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was your first impression when you went there and how, was, how old were you? They still had outhouses. Um, they heated their homes and their food with these uh, these really toxic charcoal briquettes even in seoul yeah oh my god yeah and then well, today it's um, totally modern city. yeah, yeah. it's like more modern than tokyo in some respects <laughs> in some places it really is but uh even my dad's hometown um you know is quite modern they have a costco there now oh really yeah they have the they have the biggest mall in asia 
And you go in there, and they got like all the high end stuff that you would see on Rodeo Drive. And that's saying a lot because yeah. there's they love malls in Asia. Yeah, and this town <laughs> that my dad grew up in, I remember going there as a kid. You had an outhouse, and that's what how I were that's literally how I, chickens walking around everywhere and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean that's how I learned to say bathroom was. I didn't know the word was actually outhouse. <laughs> Right, <laughs> yeah. and then of course the country became modernized, and then I'd go over there thinking, "Yeah, well, where's the outhouse?" And people look at you like, "Where are you from?" <laughs> well, it's crazy how fast it happened, right? I mean, it, it was literally overnight how how modern they became. I lived there in 1990, from 1990 to 1991. That's when I learned to speak Korean. And between then and when I started going back there frequently, 10, 15 years later, I could not recognize the streets were there, but so much was different. I mean, the people, they dressed hip, they spoke English, um, the streets were clean, there were no, there was no garbage, there was no trash, it was just, it, it, yeah, it was really, really different. What turned it around? Was there was some big economic surge, or was there a political party that really went forward with this, or? That, I don't know, um, but all that stuff happened in... Was the, it the 80s? It, it actually started in, uh, I think, the late 60s, early 70s, under the military... Because um, it was a military-controlled country for a long time. It's only been a, a true democracy for the last 5, 10 years, 20, 15 years, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know the exact time, but it's pretty recent. I think they've only transferred um, the presidency three or four times with an election. You know, other than that, it was always a military dictatorship. Right. But are they heavily into, I know they make electronics and, and a lot of that, well, but I, they have cars. And, know, my I mean, brother loves spewing the statistics about <laughs> Korea. It's one, of, it's one of the few countries that actually manufactures automobiles. There's not really that many countries that do that. That's true. Yeah. Russia doesn't really count. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're shipbuilders. There's not that many countries that do that. They uh, hosted a World Cup, co-hosted it with the Japanese, and they got to, I think they took third or fourth. Yeah, no, they did very, very well. Yeah, yeah. They did, they they're did good play. in soccer. Yeah, soccer. I mean, there's a guy. And up. baseball. They love baseball. Guy at Manchester United. Yeah, plays the guy at Manchester United. He's a... Um, Jisung Park? No, yeah, uh, Park Jisung. Yeah, he's the former <clears throat> captain of the uh, national team. Yeah. There's a guy playing for the um, uh, Chu something. He's actually a distant cousin of mine. He plays in the major leagues. I can't remember which team he plays for. Oh, uh, baseball? Yeah. Oh, really? No, he plays for the Cleveland Indians. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He's a slugger, and he's, his last name's Chu, and it's spelled C-H-O-O, -O, and there's not a lot of us. And he's, There's not a lot of Chus? No, not in Korea. Oh, really? Yeah. It's Is a, it more of a Chinese name? Yeah, it's... Well, I mean, everybody... C-H-U would be in Chinese. Yeah, everybody emigrated, I mean, kind of... Worked their way down nomadically, I guess, down the peninsula from China, from yeah, Mongolia. Right. We're all Mongols, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, but there's not that many Chews. And if you're a Chew, and you're Korean, and you're from my dad's hometown in Busan, chances are you're probably related. <laughs> I, right. I, my my grandfather used to have this book that um, you know with the the big books with the the Chinese calligraphy in it, and it had the family trees and stuff. And he showed it to me this one time. And then later on, ten fifteen years later, he actually put it into a a compact book, and I bet you if I open that book up, I could find uh, that that chew that plays for the Indians. I bet you I could find his grandfather or his, or his parents somewhere in that book. Is he good? Have you ever tried to contact him or anything? Uh, no, I was going to go uh, to spring training and harass him. Get some free tickets? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> no, but they love baseball. And there was a, a Major League Baseball store right in Seoul when I was there. We went there and stopped in, and everybody was wearing all this you know, baseball stuff. Yeah. I really want to go to a game there. It's a little odd going to a baseball game in, in Korea. Cause I went to one in Tokyo, but I didn't yeah. I would then we go to one you go, in Korea. You know, you want a hot dog. You want beer. You want popcorn, pretzels. All, you know, like... Cracker Jack, right? All that stuff. Yeah. You're waiting for the national anthems, everything, stretching all that. I get, you get there, and they're eating dried squid. 
<laughs> rice wine, Prawns. right? All the the little yeah, kimchi. Yeah, you get drinking all that. I'm like, this is a little odd for the first game. I mean, it had but a, there you know, is beer though. Yeah. Oh, there's so lots they, of beer. They drink there. a lot of uh, this uh, liquor called uh, makgeolli. I'm That's not, sure. not soju. No, it's different. It's, it's more milky. Uh, I'm not ex- exactly sure if it's made from uh, if it's fermented from rice or not. But um, yeah, it'll do the job. I was, I was always telling the story of when um, uh, we went to Korea or, or in December, right? And I had just come from a week in the Philippines, where the food just not not very good, right? And then, then we showed up in Seoul, and it was about one in the morning. And we just walked around the corner from our hotel. There was a mall, which was open at one of them. They were open until like 4 or 5 in the morning, these right. malls. And we went to the food court there. We're the only ones in there. There was a couple places still open. We pointed at something. They brought it. And this food we had in the food court blew away everything we had in Philippines for a week. Oh, I'm sure. It was awesome. And it cost like 5 bucks. Yeah. It was amazing. The food was so good there. They have food courts in all of the uh, major department stores. Down the, usually it's down in the basement. And, and people still shopping at two, th- two or three in the morning. It's packed. You go upstairs, you buy your Prada, whatever, whatever, your silk yeah. this, your Versace that, and you go downstairs and eat your pickled cabbage and, you know, I whatever. Got a, I got a great awesome. collection of uh, photos of these sweatshirts and clothes that would have, like, American sayings on them, but they, they made absolutely no sense. Oh, that's, like, that's getting better. Yeah. That's getting better. It used to be horrible, so great. but it's getting better. All-time good football club. And I'm going to have like some picture. No, and huge writing. Yeah. I mean, it's like... It's got New like York a, Dodgers. And you're yeah. like, no, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> there, it, there'd be misspellings and just yeah. plaster on it. It's like a billboard on the, guy, back of the, on the, on the guy's back. And it made no sense. <laughs> but they don't really... I haven't seen the guys wearing that anymore. Now they're wearing all the, the high-end stuff. They wear suits. They got the corporate yeah. casual look going on. And, yeah. Uh, this is the other thing I loved about... There, there was always the only thing I didn't like about Seoul, which I liked a lot of it, but um, the train system was awesome. Yep. But it shut down at eleven thirty. Yep. And so everybody goes out to these bars, and then you, there's nobody to get home. That's true. And so there's all these places where these businessmen just crash for the night. What were they called? The, uh, they're called uh, moyoktangs. Okay, and then you go there, they're basically and the, saunas. Yes, and the, but you can sleep saunas. there. Yep. There's like uh, you can do your laundry and. Yeah. Get a massage. You go in there, and like the basic, basic is like, I don't know what it costs there anymore, but like here in LA, they have those as well. And you can go in there for 10 bucks, 15 bucks, and they've got barbers in there. They've got restaurants, the shoe shiners. The fancy ones have, have places that will press your clothes. Or, yeah, and they're, they've got all these different rooms that you can go into depending upon what you want to do. You can just go there and you can get your, you can get to be exfoliated. It's a little odd because when you're getting exfoliated <laughs> yeah. by in the men's side, it's not a woman doing it; it's another guy. So you got to be okay with that, right? And it's not like a private room where you can crash in, right? It's like uh, well, they do. I mean, after you get, you know, you go in there, you shower. They they you, they have toothbrushes, they have toothpaste, they got razors, they got shaving cream, everything that you could possibly need, right? Self-contained, and then you do your your shower thing. You can get your scrub on if you want, <laughs> and then they got the hot tub. They've got the nicer ones have like three or four different hot tubs. They've got like a tea hot tub they've got like a i don't know a menthol hot tub a hot tub a cold tub a tea hot a tub? Warm tub yeah sometimes it's all just tea there's some sort of like a ginseng or something uh-huh. and it's supposed to be good for your skin i guess okay now and is it just for men or do they have for women they too? got the men's side and the women's side they're always okay. separate but nowadays they've got these common rooms uh they call them i think they're called jimmy shibangs and so you can you can fraternize okay so it's like a tv in there and you know yeah, well 
on the men's side, I've never been on the women's side, but the men's side, they've got a room where you're, they've got a bunch of lazy boy recliners and a big screen TV so you can sit there and there's a lot of guys just passed out sleeping and snoring. <laughs> yeah. They've got a quiet room, which is completely darked out, no lights, and you're just laying out on the, on the ground. They got those little you know, hard pillows and people are just passed out in there. They got the hot room where it's quite a bit warmer than, and then they got the um, place where you can just chill out, read the newspaper. They got a, you know, people are playing those Korean games like the Korean chess and yeah. that with the black and white little stones. And then they got the, like the finishing bathroom area where they got the sinks and they got cologne. They got individually wrapped uh, combs. It sounds like a great idea. Yeah, it's a great idea because especially if you, you know, you most people in Korea, in Seoul anyway, live quite a bit farther away from the center of town just like it is in L.A. So they have to commute a long distance. And when that, when that subway shuts down... You're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> and so you go into these places and you can sleep overnight. They charge you more for sleeping overnight. But when you wake up in the morning, take your shower, put on your fresh press clothes, and you, walk, <laughs> you get on the subway, and go, you know, which is quite a bit closer than probably where you live. Yeah. It's a great service. And you can eat. And their wives are uh, cool with the staying out all night? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's... it's uh, it's not better op- than coming home at two in the morning. You know, it's not, they don't have a choice. It's not optional. A lot of times, they, you, as part of your um, employment, you have to go out with the boys that you work with and your boss, and you have to socialize. It's yeah. just required. And it's a um, it's a whole ritual that I found there. You know, the, the uh, oldest guy at the table, mm-hmm. which unfortunately was me, mm-hmm. <laughs> at a couple places. Yep. You know, they would always pour my drinks. Yeah. You know, so they serve, you know, and there's a certain way to pour, too. You hold your hand like... Yeah, there's a... You, you hold one arm, holds the other hand. It's a deferential thing. It's a respect mm-hmm. thing. So there's like the two-handed and the one-handed. You never do the backhanded pour. Oh, okay. Never. Never do the backhanded pour. You always, <laughs> always use your right hand. Um, and if you do a shot, you turn your head away. That they only... I think maybe women do that. Or well, yeah, well, again, well, no, and, and even the lower junior level employees, they turn their heads so they. Yeah, it's a hierarchy thing because it's still, like the if there's an older guy like my grandfather, if I was drinking with my grandfather, he would just one hand me if he poured for me at all. Okay, I would two hand him, right, <laughs> and then at least the first one I would turn my back so that he, he couldn't actually see me drinking. And after that, it was like, it was okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was awesome until at the end of the night when they handed the bill to me. Yeah, that's the other <laughs> And nobody even questioned it. They yeah. just got up and left. And I was like, oh, I guess this is that's, on me. That's the, uh, the shit rolls downhill thing. <laughs> but it comes and goes, right? You may be the old guy now, but like for me, I'm the old guy now. I freeloaded for years. Yeah, off of yeah. My, off you my rode old, that gravy train yeah, for a long time. Yeah, my older cousins, they, I didn't have to pay anything. And now I'm the older guy and I'm, all my younger cousins are coming up. So when I go out... I go to Korea, they all come out, and I'm like, oh, man, here comes a bill. <laughs> and it's quite a bit more expensive now, I think. But I, I guess it's relative. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I got a big family, so when, they, when all the cousins come out, it's just... <laughs> yeah, it's not pleasant when you come home back to L.A. and you get that credit card bill. Yeah, I bet. Because yeah. I can't even read it. <laughs> well, you can't I, read I it? I have no idea what that receipt says other than the numbers on it. Well, you can read Korean, though. I can, but, you know, signs, street signs, you know, signs that you may see, see in a subway... Things mm-hmm. like that, but like I couldn't read an, a contract. Oh, right. I couldn't, I couldn't read a novel. I, you know, I can read basic Korean, but so I'm looking at the and, the and the font's really small. It would take me a day to read that thing <laughs> with, a, with a dictionary, and I still wouldn't get it. But usually I go with my cousins, and my cousins will sit there and they'll argue with them and say, "This is we didn't get that, we got that." And then, then is that a common like the bill will be completely jacked up if the like wrong or something? Could be. Oh yeah, yeah, it could be. What if you're like me, like you know, table full of Joel White guy? I mean, they're gonna be 
I yeah, might get screwed. Well, it, it depends. Is that the, is that the gringo price? Well, it depends. <laughs> at, like at the restaurants, you're probably not going to experience that. But right. then they and got, the shops, though. Yeah, then there's a, what they call the, uh, the icha, the second round, right? Where after dinner, all the boys go out. Sometimes all the girls go out. Mm-hmm. And then they have different forms of entertainment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Different ones. Right. Where the... Uh, might not be as scrupulous as <laughs> yeah, the restaurants. Exactly. The nightclubs, you got to be careful. Yeah, for sure. The um, Oh, and then you were telling me about, like in Koreatown, they have these places too, that it's when you go to a nightclub and it's a group of guys at a table yep. and there's a host. And if, say, you see some girls over there and you want to bring them over to the table, you have to go through the host and he brings them over or she brings them over. Yeah, the way it works is you, um, you got to buy a table. Everybody's sitting at a table. It's not like a, you can't just go in there and hang you out by the bar. mingle, yeah. Okay, everybody, unless you're a girl. Okay, then, right. So the way it works is um, every table, or is like they have a zone, and then that zone is covered by a certain waiter. And so you, and for some reason, every Korean place over there, they, they've got some guy called 007 <laughs> or uh, uh, Channel Park, right? There's always some guy, like, and so you ask for, you tell them who your waiter is, and then they'll hook you up with that table. And then if you're a bunch of guys, they do what's called booking. You tell the guy you want you want a book. And then what they'll do is they'll go over to a table full of girls, and they'll just go over there and grab them by the wrist and drag them, <laughs> physically drag them back over to your table. And then it's this kind of – she's protesting, but it's, she's not really protesting. She has to put up like a, she, oh, yeah, no, like, I couldn't no, no, possibly. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not that kind of girl. Right? But mm-hmm. really she's being led over there. And then there's this weird – 15 second maybe maybe even 10 second period where the girl will actually she'll throw her into the seat <laughs> and then that's when she'll check out the table and see if there's somebody she might possibly be interested in and then otherwise she'll just get up and walk away oh really she won't i thought she doesn't stay for at least the no sometimes they'll just get up and walk away oh okay and so, but sometimes they'll sit down there you know because they're actually doing the same thing they're sitting there looking to see if there's a guy they might be interested in right right and if they are then they'll take they'll have a they'll cocktail what know. is the thing about the uh crown royal well, this seems to be like a bottle of Crown Royal. Koreans uh, love scotch. And back in the day, like in the in the 70s when I first started going there, they used to drink this horrible stuff called like Captain Q, locally oh. made scotch. In fact, it's not scotch, it's whiskey. Yeah. Right? Um, and then as they became more affluent, now you go there and they started drinking Crown Royal, and then they started drinking Black Label, and then you go there. <laughs> now it's like they got Blue Label, mm-hmm. right? The, the Johnny Walker Blue over there, and it's just... They're getting rich and... They do love to drink. They do love to drink. Man, oh, man. Man. And even they were starting to learn about, like, the hot thing. I think they were starting uh, wine bars was, like, starting to take effect. Yeah, that I don't know. I I know they're getting into wine. Um, My uncle was uh, getting into the export business, um, exporting it from here, and then importing it into Korea. What? uh, what is it like doing? Because you do, you used to do a lot of business in Asia, right? I'm mean, used to no, go there. I used to go there a lot. I didn't. Okay, you do didn't any, do business in no, Asia. I just went there to travel. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you went to what are some of the other places you went to? I know you went to like mainland China. Did yeah, you? I went to mainland China. Let's see. In that same 1990-91 period, I spent about a month in China. This 90-91. So it wasn't no that's, very open then. This is twenty years no, ago. No, I mean Mao suits, no cars. St- yeah. Wow. No cell phones. Train take, took me thirty six hours to get from uh, Beijing down to uh, Guangzhou, Whew. right? 
Um, and those are the hard seats. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the hard seats, it's just packed. They've got the boiler in the back of the uh, rail car so you can get your hot water on to drink your tea because there's no waitress coming over there serving you Heineken or anything. No. Like that. <laughs> and that bo- plastic bottle of Coca-Cola-looking substance, that's not Coca-Cola. Oh. It looks like a Coca-Cola swish, but don't do it. <laughs> yeah. The fakes over there. I've been to, yeah, so I spent about a month in China. I went to Thailand. Uh, spent three weeks there. I've uh, been to Taiwan. Uh, Malaysia. Haven't been to Singapore. Um, where else have we been? Hong Kong. Macau. I liked Hong Kong a lot. I went to Macau. Um, See, I didn't go to Macau, and which is only like a, a half-hour ferry ride, I guess, on the uh, from Hong Kong. Again, this it's, it's like the Vegas of uh, Asia. Well, but much bigger, apparently. It is now because Sheldon Adelson went over there and they you know set up the Venetian and all that stuff. So it's completely. Different. I haven't been there since, but when I went over there, it was just like the little Portuguese gaming houses and um yeah these multi-tier houses you sitting downstairs and these guys would drop cages down with a guy from the third floor sitting his bed up on the table it was the weirdest thing what what wait a minute a cage yeah imagine vegas you're sitting at at a craps table right Uh uh-huh but there's two or three floors above the table with guys like looking over the balcony at that same table and they're placing their bets on that same game that's happening on the ground floor so they're betting on the players that yeah, well, I mean, playing. the guy's rolling whatever he's rolling, right? And he's oh, like, okay. Yeah, it's so like he, craps. He, the way he's handing his bet to the guy on this little chain with a cage <laughs> on the bottom. And just lowering it down? Yeah, and then so that more people can play. Oh, wow. That'd be kind of cool to see. It was, it was pretty interesting. And back then they had um, uh, dog racing. I don't know oh, if they still yeah. do that or not. But I'd love to go back there to check it out. Yeah, Macau, I guess, is just like huge, huge now. Yeah. Uh, in Japan. I've been to Japan a number of times. Um, so the Korean-Japan... Uh, relationship has always been a little bit tense and yes. still is. Yes. Um, Korea was a uh, colony of Japan from 1907, 1907, 1908 to uh, the end of World War II, 1945. Yeah, and the war was uh, particularly unkind. Uh, well, time. the Japanese didn't treat anybody in Asia very well. Yeah, they and, got that rep. Yeah, and uh, so the Koreans obviously ha- harbor a lot of animosity towards the uh, uh, Japanese. Just people, you know, general people versus general people i say there is still some animosity there um generationally i don't think it's as strong because um you know the generation that's growing up now and the one that's following didn't have to experience that so they don't know they just get the stories handed down to them from people like my grandfather who told me stories of uh you couldn't speak korean it was illegal to speak korean guys would be walking around with swords and you know japanese guys be walking around with swords and just doing what they wanted to do yeah my grandmother uh, I brought her a, a pineapple once back in the back in the nineties when I was visiting, and um, the pineapple actually was grown I think in some place in Japan because it had Japanese writing on it. And she put on her glasses and she looked at it and she started busting out in absolutely fluent Japanese. And I was totally shocked. She's like, "Yeah, we speak Japanese. We had to speak Japanese." I go, "So who knows how to speak Japanese?" I was asking about all my uncles. He says, "Well, everybody up to your father knows how to speak Japanese." And read Japanese fluently. Not your father, though, because he wasn't a very good student. <laughs> yeah, but there is, um, like, the uh, Korea, I can't remember what day it is, but it's, uh, like, you know, like an Independence Day, I guess, sort of thing. And uh, I remember when I was living over there, it was a big deal. Because I had some Japanese friends, Japanese Koreans. They were actually ethnic Koreans in Japan. They came, they were studying Korean over there, and they were my classmates. And uh, they were fearful. Because they, even though they're, they're ethnically Korean, they still look Japanese, and they sound Japanese. And... Uh, they were scared. 
scared being in Japan? In, in Korea. Oh, in Korea. Yeah. Oh, right. Because it gets like that back then. I mean, back. I mean, think about it. Back in the 90s, the students were still rioting. I mean, they would, the cops would be out there with their Darth Vader riot gear and tear gas in the streets and just, yeah, it was bad. I don't, you don't, I don't think you see that too much in Korea now. Uh, I saw when I was there, there were still protests of the, the comfort women. Yeah. Uh, the Koreans. Yeah. And uh, they just want an apology. And they're still not getting it. Well, I mean, think, <laughs> think about all the different places in the world where one race has basically beaten another race, right? The Armenians and the Turks, right? Yep. Is it a genocide? Isn't it a genocide? Well, since we're this close to Glendale, I'm going to say, yeah, it was a genocide. <laughs> exactly. All right, but I mean, does it, ma- does it really matter what it was? Shouldn't you really be more concerned about the fact that a large number of people were killed? But then, isn't that what war is? Yeah. Right? But, um, well, to lighten it up, <laughs> let's yeah. you, you travel throughout Asia. Yeah. And then Lots you, of parts, yeah. and you also went down to, uh, I know you went to Brazil. Yeah. You went to Cuba. I did go to Cuba. How Why? did you get to, how did you get to Cuba? Well, this is one of those stupid little creations or I don't know what your fabrication or methods by which some people can go to a, uh, country like Cuba and others cannot. Um, and the way I was able to go was this uh, cultural exchange exemption. So, as a student, students or um, cultural exchanges. So we, right. what I went. For I know was, if you were a musician or something, they can get like, or an artist, they can get yeah. like a pass to so go and stuff. One of the times I went was a uh, for the Cuban Jazz Festival. No. Oh. And it was organized by a group in out of New York, and so we actually paid New York because you're not. At, you're allowed to go, but you still can't spend any money there. You're only allowed to spend $100. Um, so everything has to be pre-purchased. Uh, so the hotel rooms were, were paid for in advance. The transportation, the food, everything was paid for in advance. And then once you get there, you're only allowed to spend 100 bucks. but people yeah. exceed that amount <laughs> regularly. And then they just change the price tags before they come back. I didn't do that. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, that wasn't me. I saw people. <laughs> right, can't remember what their names are. How long were you there? Did you ever get out of Havana? Because uh, I was only in Havana for three nights. I didn't get out of Havana because there's no public transportation to speak of. Not well, they do have public transportation, but it's not public transportation you wouldn't want to get on. Yeah, it moves about three miles an hour, and it's yeah, you don't want to do that. So, and there was plenty of stuff to see in Havana during the time I was there. That was only going to be there for a short time. The farthest I got outside was probably Miramar. Um. I did actually make to make it out to Pinar Pinar del Rio, Pinar del Rio. I think is what it's called. Is that a beach? No, it's a province. Okay. Yeah. What did you think of it? Um, Your first reactions. The, the country or the people or what? All of it. Uh, Both. The, the resilience of the people there was um, phenomenal because they have to make do with so little. They do, don't they? they? Yeah, and they do, and they get by. Like whatever little food they can scrape together, they'll make something out of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you know? it's, like, and then you know you hear you hear about because we're older, so we we went through that whole Cold War thing, and you know, communists are bad, you know, Americans are good type of thing, right? And then you you heard about these ration books that they get, right? The whole communist thing is right to as I go to each according to his ability, uh, each according to his need, right? And so they have these ration books about what they're what they're allowed to get. And they're supposed to get like ten pounds of meat, you know, five pounds of coffee, ten yeah, pounds of sugar. sugar, and everybody's supposed to be entitled to this stuff. And you can go to these state stores where they're where they're supposed to have all the stuff, and the truck will roll in there, and they'll be like, 
a hundred people in line and the truck will drop off five pounds of beef and there's a hundred people in line. So how much of that are you going to get? Right. Despite what that card says. And that's a regular occurrence. Um, and then that side by side, you saw all the places that you know, we were going to as tourists and you go there, like we went to this famous chicken restaurant over there, um, this Cuban chicken restaurant, which is really good. But you don't see regular Cubans going into the store. No, like they that. can't. They, they can't, can't go in there. They can't get anywhere near that place unless they go as a guest of somebody, right? And it really doesn't cost them. I can't remember what it would cost. But anybody that has access to interact with uh, the tourists is doing really well by Cuban standards. Yeah. And everybody else is suffering. I want to think there were places that said, like blatantly said that they couldn't, like locals weren't even allowed. Like they'll shush them out of the they've got restaurant. St- they've got stores that are dollar denominated and the shelves are packed. Yeah. And I could go in there and buy whatever I wanted. Right. And then you go like, and then you go to the beef store that I just described <laughs> yeah. and they don't have anything. Well, the thing out there that was really weird, they had those, the two different kinds of money. You know, they had that, they had a, a tourist dollar. It was like, um, I forget what they call it. But they had like a tourist money mm-hmm. that was pegged to the dollar, right? Which is what we spent, right? But there's like the local peso is you know it was worth nothing, yeah. You know, but that's what they use. That's what the people. So it was like two different kinds of yeah. money. I had never seen that anywhere else. I saw that in uh, China. In the yeah, 1990s. Two currencies. Yeah, they actually had uh, three different currencies in China in the early 1990s when I went there. It was called uh, the renminbi, which is what everybody was using, and then they had the. And I don't even know if they have this anymore. It was called the FEC, which was a foreign exchange currency. That's what the tourists used. And then they had the dollars, which everybody used on the black market. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, <laughs> uh, they don't have that anymore. So you left Cuba, and then you went to see you with you, Brazil. Yep. How long were you in Brazil? Uh, I went twice. Uh, I think each time I was only there for less than a week. Did you love it? I loved it. Um... Some parts I really liked. Some parts I didn't really care for. Which parts? Well, well did you see the bad parts of, uh, I mean, the favelas and the slums are really horrible. Yeah, but that's ho- pretty much horrible wherever you go. Yeah. Um, and I think they, the, I think it gets more of a rap, a bad rap in Brazil than it does anywhere else because, I mean, the slums are horrible wherever you go. Yeah, it's true. Um, but uh, the interesting part of the favelas was that the, you know, you go to most places and the hills are where the rich people live. And the places... That I went to where the favelas, all the favelas are up in the hill. Because, yeah, they're all in the hills. Yeah, and the flat, the flat lands are where all the rich people are. <clears throat> yeah, in the city, with the, in the big high-rises. Yeah, Rio's like that. You go to like the you know, Ipanema, Copacabana, and all the rich people are down on the bottom, and you go up into the hills, with the, which has the most spectacular views of Rio. Yeah, it's just and, slums. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just, yeah, people are just squatting. Yeah, garbage burning everywhere. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's surprisingly well organized, but it's not, they don't have, you know, 50-foot setbacks from the street, right? <laughs> right. And the streets aren't all uniform, and, but they do have electricity that they're stealing from the local electricity pole. You know, they, somehow, they, <laughs> somehow they get by. So, oh, I wanted to get back to Korea. The one thing I forgot to ask you about, like the vibe between the people in the South, uh, what, are, what are their feelings about the people in the North and the whole Kim Jong deal and that whole thing? I couldn't give you any uh, better perspective than what you would read in the newspaper these days because I haven't lived there in a long time. Um, they have a wide spectrum of political beliefs just like everybody. I mean, some people are... Just like Israel, right? You got the leftists in Israel saying we should just all get along and then you got the people on the right they're saying these people are trying to kill us. We need to protect ourselves. And it's like that in Korea too. So you have... The older ones tend to be more they're trying to kill us because they live through it. 
um, you know, they don't trust them. And then you got the younger guys just saying, it's, if we could just get rid of the government, everything would be okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like that. Right. I was yeah. there. I got there about, uh, I want to say a week or so after Kim Jong-il died. Right. In December. So it was, of course, it was everywhere in the news. And yeah. I couldn't understand exactly what was happening. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a huge, huge event, and they were all I'm wondering sure. about the secession. And it's only happened know, it's, twice. Yeah, over there. Yeah, it's just. But they, to the West, it just seems something. Well, this is a people that just so linked. You know, their their language is the same, and well, all yeah, these people they were. That's the similarity uh, that you find with uh, the East and West Germans, or the former East Germany. Yeah, where the same people. In Vietnam, actually, to to an extent, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, you find the same people. But the in Vietnam, they weren't they were not allowed to develop uh, separately as they were in uh, Germany and Korea for a long enough period of time, right? Because the U.S. left Vietnam in 1975. Right. Imagine what would happen in the next 25 years, because that's the same time that, that Korea blew up, right? Yeah. You, could you see it ever reuniting? Yeah, it's going to happen. But that's I was going to share with you my thoughts on that, which is that um, I, the Koreans, much like the Germans, are reluctant. I mean, they, they probably think that it should be a, one country, but they don't want to pay for it because they're so poor over there and it's so backwards yeah. and it would take forever. South Korea would have to foot the bill yeah. for the entire thing. Yeah. yeah, and so they're not looking forward to that part of it, I'm sure. If you notice the uh, trend, like in South Korea, that the people are just getting bigger like in japan like now we have korean power hitters <laughs> like that was unheard of yeah <laughs> they're just bigger people now yeah well i i'm five eleven sometimes five eleven and a half i went over there and i was pretty tall for a korean for my generation yeah but you go over there for a visit now and you see these guys are like way over six feet six one six two six they're tall it's, it's all diet <laughs> Conversely, if you look at some of these uh, people from uh, North Korea, they say the average height of a individual over there is two inches shorter than his his, his uh, counterpart in South Korea. Yeah, I heard they were putting the tall ones at the border guards yeah. to give the impression of the people that they were taller. Yeah, they do that. Oh, man. Because I guess it's just malnutrition and, and starving over there. That's it. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. I mean, one of the basic, one of the basic functions of a government is to ensure that his people can provide for themselves. And they're failing at that. So yeah, I like to, uh, you know, credit our, uh, you know, McDonald's. There you go. I think <laughs> beef. I, I honestly think it was the uh, the Whoppers, the beef, the the milk. Milk, milk used, is a big. big no, it's three eating, you know, big bowls of sugar cereal and gallons of milk every day. It's like it's got to be good for you. Maybe not the sugar part of it. But. <laughs> well, for kids, I mean, that's, it helps yeah. you grow. It's a dietary thing for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, what made you stop? You're just business changing. You you just got a new line of work that made you stop traveling so much. Yeah, um, you just get busier as you get older. I did pro- most of my traveling in the my twenties and thirties. Then you get older, you get uh, busier. You have more commitments. You have more responsibility. And you just have less time. And you went all throughout Europe as well, too, didn't you? I've been to a number of European countries. Um, Ooh, there's a chopper going by. Yeah, no, I've been to uh, Germany, Holland. Um, Great Britain, Ireland, um, France, Spain. I haven't been to Portugal. I've been to Czechoslovakia, when it was Czechoslovakia. Oh, you went there before the uh, yeah split? I went to... Um, actually, I don't remember if it was before the split or after the split. I think it was after the split. 
Yeah, it would be a little I, tough. Yeah, because I think I think I recall coming across from Slovakia and there was a border checkpoint. Yeah, so it would be like early '90s when it changed over. Yeah. So I went there. Went to been to Italy. I went to Italy finally, just uh, in two thousand nine. Fantastic! Isn't it awesome? Well, that was the first motorcycle trip that I ever took in Europe. You you rented the motorcycle in yeah. Italy? No, I got a buddy here. Um, he's Swiss, and he exported a uh, a nineteen ninety eight Honda Goldwing back home for his dad. His dad lives uh, well, he's deceased now, but he just he lives in Zurich, which is just outside of Zurich. And so um, we flew to Zurich. And then took the train down to Zook and then uh, loaded up the the uh, Honda Goldwing, and then dropped over the through the through the uh, Alps, the Swiss Alps, through that seventeen kilometer tunnel they got. Oh, that must have been gorgeous. Well, it's not so gorgeous in the winter time because it's hot. You go. From, you did it in the winter. In the winter time, so it's oh. it's freezing, and then you go through this tunnel that's just like a sauna, and just filled with carbon monoxide. <laughs> yeah. And we came out the other end, and then you're in like the Italian part of the Swiss Alps, and. Uh, it's cold, it's snowing, and then we dropped down in Milan, and then we spent about three weeks cruising through. I put like 2,000 miles on that bike in three weeks. Oh, my gosh. We went to 19, 19 different cities. That's awesome. Awesome. Best way to do it. Yeah, well, I'd rather do it in the summer, but yeah. <laughs> what's that, God, what's that tunnel got to be like in the summer? Oh, I, I would not want to do that. Actually, in the summertime, you could go over the top. Oh, okay. They have the tunnel because the passes are closed because of the snow. It's 17 kilometers? 17 kilometers. How many miles is that? It's a lot. got to be... It's at least 10 miles, I think. Got to be. All in... uh, Oh, man. Yeah. Just building that thing is incredible. It was horrible. Oh. Yeah, but Italy was awesome. I would totally go back and do that again. So you had a dream of... You have like a motorcycle... You were telling me about this, your next motorcycle trip you wanted to... Yeah. Well, unfortunately, they sold that motorcycle, but I had already plotted out my next trip going from... uh, Starting out in Zug, all right, flying to Zurich, go to Zug, get the bike, and then we were going to drop down through uh, the French part of uh, Switzerland and drop down through the south of France and then into uh, Spain, into the northern part, go across the Pyrenees, which would have been an awesome ride, and then go eat some good food in Spain and France and make our way back. That was going to be awesome. That's great. But now I don't have that bike, so I'm looking to uh, either purchase a bike over there or get a bike here and export it over there. Could get a nice Ducati. No, it's what I, the older I get, I realize uh, you got you have to pick the bike that's appropriate for the type of riding you want to do, and so for that type of cruising, you want you want the Harley, you want the lazy boy on two wheels, right, right, you right. You want the creature comforts, right, and you want storage, luggage capacity, so that you can carry more than a couple of days worth of clothing, because mm-hmm. a lot of the space on the bike is taken up by things that you might need to fix the bike, like tools and spare tires. Did you spare, repair you, kits? Did you air it out on the uh, on the autobo- on the uh, Autobahn or anything? What do you mean? The um, oh, did I open up? No, because they have. uh, I didn't want to mess with um, getting tickets because the the bike was registered to my friend's dad. Oh, so you didn't let it, you know, do two hundred miles an hour or whatever crazy thing. I was told they had cameras and all that type of stuff, and (laughs) and it was pretty nerve wracking riding a. um, Well, in the winter, that's got to be frightening. In in Italy, when you don't speak Italian, right? Well, you can pull the dumb tourists. It's like I don't know what the laws are. Yeah. But, I did that in Ireland when I got pulled I know, but over. But all the all the Swiss were talking about all the Swiss in the LA that all my friends that are Swiss are telling me that yeah you gotta be careful when you drop in Italy because it's like it's like uh, people from here going down to Mexico. It's a speed trap. Yeah, they're yeah, they're waiting they, for a bribe. Yeah, they just want to mess with the Swiss, you know. So you gotta be careful. And it, they were totally wrong. <laughs> the Swiss have a lot more money, so they were gonna like yeah. But the Italians were awesome. Did not have a problem with that at all. That's great. Great. But um, what were your favorite towns in Italy? Ooh. Did you go to Amalfi? Oh, you. Oh, yeah. Of course, Amalfi. Riding, riding down in the south of uh, southern part of Italy on that bike was like 
if Mal if they let Malibu develop, and then it was like five hundred years older, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they had all the great food that they do in Italy, it still wouldn't come close to what it was like over there. It was awesome. That's beautiful. Totally recommend doing it if you have access to a bike. What time of year? Were you, so this is winter. This is winter. What well, was the temperature? It was, it was uh, winter going into spring because I think it was April. Okay, so yeah. by the time you hit the Amalfi Coast, what was, what was the temperature down there? It was warm down there. It's probably, but then you got the the rain. Would, it would come in and rain, and then would dry out. And so it was probably it was temperate, maybe like in the 70s, 60s, 70s. Okay, but you're wearing motorcycle leather, and so you're pretty toasty. Did you ever make it farther down the coast? Like, did you ever get down into like um, or go on the other side, like Croatia or do no, any no? Of the that farthest, stuff? the farthest we. Pretty much uh, hit the north, made our way over to Venice, came back down the, through the center part of the boot, um, and then dropped down into uh, like the Naples area and Amalfi, Sorrento, and then went back up to Naples. Because the, the birthplace of pizza is supposed to be in Naples. That's <laughs> yeah. what I heard anyway. So we went there. It was a quest. Yeah. So we went to this one place that was supposed to have the, the best pizza in Naples, and um, it was pretty good. But I was, I was fearful. <laughs> In Naples. It was the only place I felt unsafe in all of Italy. It's a, I read an article about it. I guess it's like the drug capital of, uh, of Italy for sure, but, and like one of the biggest ones in Europe. That's like where a lot of the drugs come in from uh, Asia and Africa. Yeah, I felt that was the only place I felt. I don't know that I felt unsafe. I felt uncomfortable. Yeah, like the mob totally. No, There's just, like a no, few families that no, really just, run just it. Just the people on the street, they're like eyeballing you. Like, like eyeballing you. Like, <laughs> what are you doing here? And then, But I think what, what threw them off was because we're all in leathers, full face masks and uh, helmets. And then we stopped the bike. And this is a, the, the Honda Goldwing was the biggest bike. It was like driving a Ferrari in LA. It's like people well, yeah. stop and look at you. Well, going, they're all wow. driving little like mopeds. Yeah. And so we, <laughs> we drive this, this huge bike going down these little cobblestone streets. And then we're trying to find a place to park. And some people came out and helped us. And then I took my helmet off. And it was like I was Martian. They're like, you, they see this Korean guy pulling this helmet on. They're like, what the hell are you? And I went in there and ate some pizza. But even the people in the restaurant, they're all staring at us. They don't have a problem, like, eyeballing you over there. That was, that mm-hmm. was really weird. But you, it was only in Naples they did that. You think, um, do you find that being Asian, like, uh, people just assume you're Korean or Japanese when you, when you travel? And they do like, when you find out you're, there, you're American, they go, oh, wait, you're American? It's, it's different because... Um, Back in the day, the rich Asians were who? The Japanese. The Japanese, and they traveled a lot. They traveled a lot because they had a lot of money. Remember, they bought everything in the state. They yeah, bought the Rock 80s, Miller man. They, were, right? they bought Pebble Beach. They bought, bought all of Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> Honolulu. Yeah. And then, so when you traveled around then, or in the 90s, everybody thought you were Japanese. Yeah, the Japanese tourist was like a stereotype. I mean, yeah. just snapping photos. That's and, it. But now when you travel, there's not as many Japanese traveling. but you, And you know, a lot more Chinese. There's now. a ton of Chinese out there traveling around. Yeah. And so I don't know, if we, you know, to them, it's just like saying they're all Asian, right? And they, yeah, all, they call it, it's, right. like, it's like the Hispanics. They, they say everybody's, everybody's Chinese, even though that you might be from Malaysia or you might be from, but they don't mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find, uh, where do Koreans tend to travel the most when they, when they travel? I, I don't run into as many as them. I don't know. I don't know where, th- I know, I can only speak to my relatives. My relatives come here. Um, but they go to other places. They're, some of my uncles are well-traveled, but I don't know that a lot of... I, I don't know where they travel because you get, traveling's expensive. Yeah. And just getting by in Korea is very expensive, so I don't know what kind of disposable... And Korea, despite the fact that it's getting um, a lot more affluent now, they're not buying Pebble Beach. They're not buying Rockefeller Center. They're not doing that yet. They haven't gotten to that level yet. What's the Korean attitude toward the Chinese 
in general? Well, um, for many years, they didn't have relations with the Chinese. I'm talking about South Korea. Yeah. Obviously, the North Koreans are... That's their co- buddy. Their cousins, because they, <laughs> you know, they came down and did their thing during the Korean War. But th- for many years, they didn't even have a, um, an embassy in, in South Korea. I had to... In fact, when I wanted to visit China that one time I was telling you about, I actually had to come back to the United States, to San Francisco, to go to the Chinese consulate in San Francisco to get my visa. And it's a roundabout way. you got to travel... 8,000 miles to get your visa. And then I went back to Korea, and then I heard that there was this ferry that went between um, this in- Incheon in uh, South Korea, and then it landed in uh, Weihai in the Shandong province in China. And it turned out there was a, sh- a ferry that-, that went there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and that's how I ended up going there. Oh, okay. Yeah. But th- as far as the attitude that chi- the Koreans have towards... Uh, the Koreans, um, I don't know. I but like in business, I mean, because now Chinese, there's such an economic power that their influence is yeah. just ever, they're buying up all of Africa. That um, <laughs> that trip in China during the 90s, um, when I when I did uh, travel on the freeways, I did see uh, signs for uh, Daewoo, which is a big conglomerate in Korea. Um, I, you know, I'm sure they're doing a lot of business now. Yeah. I know a lot of Chinese businesses come down to uh, Busan, my dad's hometown. And then, but there was a lot of, uh, they export a lot of uh, Korean cars up to china too i think so i know that the the, i can tell you this the flights going from uh, busan to uh shanghai are packed it's like trying to get out of la going to vegas on a friday night it's like (laughs) you're not getting a plane ticket right you might you get in your car and drive but you don't have that option obviously so you have to plan it way in advance but china's china's popular um because it was cheap yeah and it was developing now i don't know i haven't been back in you know, five, six, seven years to China, so I don't know how expensive it is. I, I'm sure it's more expensive than it was when I went. Were you at, were you at Chang, Shanghai? Did you go to Shanghai? Yeah, well, I went to Shanghai in the 1990s, and uh, they have this one street called, this one area called the Bund. That's where all the uh, the foreign countries were, I guess. They, they built their, you know, like Hong Kong Shanghai Bank, for example. Okay. So they got that type of colonial architecture going on on this one street. It's like on the, so this was right on the water. Uh I guess it would be like a boardwalk. And I went there, and there were no cars, no taxis. Just people walking around. Bicycles? Mouse, mouse, mouse suits, right? You couldn't get in something. You go, I went back there in like 2005 or six. They had an Armani store. There was neon everywhere. I tried to make a phone call in 1990 or 91 go back to uh, the States, and the lady in this hotel says, come back in 15 hours. 15 hours? 15 hours. It, it's going to take her to organize that telephone call to the States. <laughs> so then I went I went back at 15 hours, and she had the phone call set up, But it, which was weird because then after the 36-hour train ride back down to the Hong Kong, guys around there were walking around with cell phones, the the big brick ones. You know, like oh, a, yeah. The, a Michael Douglas brick. <laughs> right, the Wall so, Street ones. Yeah, that one. <laughs> but you, you could make – and again, it's one of those things where it's just a, an artificial border, and these guys are totally developed. Same people, and yeah. Really yeah. Strange. Well, ending the trip in uh, the Philippines and Korea, it was it was cool after being through Asia for a month and a half. You end in two countries that liked America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was like, wow, what a relief. This yeah. is nice. Uh, you know, I, I uh, will make a distinction in that there's some places that don't care for America. Yeah, but but they they have no problem with Americans. Yeah. There's a lot of places like that. There a lot of people will say around the world, "Hey, I like Americans. I just don't like their policies." Yeah, and you get that a lot. But you know, and but the one thing they hate about Americans is that we're so ignorant of our policies overseas. Like we have no idea 
what yeah. the countries are doing. They'll, they'll always bring up, a, what about that treaty of so-and-so that, that kind of yeah. screwed us? And we'll be like, huh? We yeah. Have, I, have no I don't idea. know. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Whoops. <laughs> uh, what are the... Do you still find that a... I mean, we have a lot of uh, bases over there still. In Korea? Yeah. Yeah. Like South Korea. I mean, mean, Korea is um, one of the uh, places in Asia that, uh, along with Japan and um, Guam, where we maintain a pretty large military presence. And it's more to keep an eye on North Korea and China, basically. Yeah, I mean, there's only, I think there's like 20-something thousand or 30,000 troops in South Korea. Um, But realistically, what are 30,000 United States troops going to do? If something was to happen, I mean, yeah, I guess the billion no Chinese. Make no mistake, it's a formidable force, and um, it's a force multiplier. I guess, I guess, the American military compared to other like not so um, developed countries, but uh, it's more there as the, I dare you, we're <laughs> yeah. we're here, we're staying. Don't try anything. We're gonna if you do something, we will respond. That's that's what I think it is. They have a lot of bases in Korea, all over South Korea, but they've pulled back from the. Uh, from the um, the Seoul. Cold War era? No, it's just they used to maintain uh, the, the headquarters like in Seoul, and I heard they, they moved it down toward the middle of the country. Um, and they're trying to make the South Korean military take the forward posture, take the be in charge. We're just going to back you up. Whereas before it was uh, that whole uh, United Nations um, thing where it, it was United States led. It was always United States general. I think they've transferred that to Korean, mm-hmm. to the Koreans now. Have you been to the DMZ? Uh, several times. Okay. Actually, a guy that worked for me here in L.A., um, if you go to the MZ, they'll tell you this story about the uh, the axe, the tree-cutting party. Um, and it took place a long time ago. And, oh, uh, I heard something about this story. Yeah. It was in the guidebook. Yeah, they had a, um, you know, the DMZ is obviously uh, the border between North and South Korea, and it's heavily militarized. And they had these uh, um, guard posts on the uh, south and there was a tree blocking the vi- the visibility of this other south guard post. And so they had this tree-cutting crew go down there. But you're not allowed to have weapons in that in that area. And so the south went down and cut down this tree. And uh, I th- actually, the U.S. Army went down and cut down this tree. And the North Koreans went over there and, like, started messing with them, I guess. And, uh, yeah, people got killed. And one of the guys that was in that tree-cutting party ended up working for me here in L.A. And he, I, so I asked him, what happened? Because I, I got the tourist version of this story. He's like... A lot of people got hurt, and some people got killed. I go, did you kill me? He's like, let's just say I had an axe in my hand, and I made use of it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he he brought, and then, like, a week later, he brought in this, uh, what do you call those things where you keep all your newspaper clippings? Oh, a scrapbook? Scrapbook. He brought in his scrapbook with, you know, this, those newspaper clippings and his, like, his ribbons and things like that from the period. I go, man, I thought you were joking. He's like, no, that was real. That happened. And did the tree ever get cut down? Okay, so they almost went to war over that because... You know, some Americans died, I guess, and they they uh, put all the military on alert, and they were, they almost reignited the war over that. So the next day, they went in there and they cut that fucking tree down. <laughs> <laughs> they went in the back and they cut that tree down. <laughs> so, for people who want to go to Korea, what advice would you give? Like, I know I'm sure probably people ask you, and it's like, hey, we want to go there. What do, what do we got to know? Look, it's so easy to. It's so much easier to travel to Korea now because of the uh, Olympics. They hosted an Olympics, and they hosted a World Cup. The Koreans figured out that uh, to succeed in the world, you need to speak English. And so a lot of people speak English there. Any, yeah, I never had a problem. Yeah, any any decent-sized hotel you go into, in fact, if you get into a cab, 
they've got these stickers on it where there's this number you can call. 24-hour translation services free for any, from any mobile phone, any phone actually. So getting around in Korea is quite a bit easier. It's not as, they call it the hermit kingdom for a long time, but it's not quite as xenophobic, in the at least in Seoul. Um, and I bet you it's not like that in Busan anymore because there's, there's a lot of interaction between different um, peoples that come into Korea. Yeah, I had a, uh, we, coming from the Philippines where we had all these flight delays and cancellations yeah. and just the airport was completely chaotic and, yeah. and horrible. Yeah. We landed in Seoul and I was like, this airport is gorgeous. Yeah. The, the <laughs> Our bag was right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I, well, it's far, far out of town, though. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass, but it's well, beautiful. The travel tip I will give you for that would be um, it's three hour, about two, three hour car ride from that airport to get into town. Do not take a taxi cab. Oh, yeah, they'll hose you on that. They will hose you. Because you, you are going to get stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have this bus. Uh, it's run by Korean Airlines. And it goes to all of the major hotels in the area. You just have to pick the right bus, and it costs significantly less than that. And it gets you right in the middle of town. Yeah, we hired a car to get back to the uh, airport, and I couldn't believe how far it was. It was like, oh, yeah, my God. This it's is... like three hours. And the buses are comfortable. They're air-conditioned and all that. Yeah, we took a bus into town. It was, it was great. Yeah, so the bus is the key. For sure. Subways are great. Everything, Subways are everything, awesome. Everything runs on time. Food is really cheap in Korea. And uh, good. Yeah. And uh, the booze is pretty cheap in Korea. You, there's, it's a great place to go. What was the uh, oh, what was the name of this chicken? There was a chicken soup that we had where they stuff rice and herbs and everything inside the whole chicken and they boil it. in a. I don't know the name of it. Oh, I bet you I've had it, though. It was so great. Yeah. I'm going to have to get names of these... Uh, dishes for it because i always forget yeah i can describe them but i can't really well, you can get all that in la i know i'm right, I'm right here you always hit me to the uh to the good places though yeah. i appreciate that yeah you've uh introduced me to korean barbecue yeah kimchi we went out for karaoke i did yep. karaoke there yeah and i had a sweet potato latte in korea which i have never been able to find here oh I, which is awesome i will warn you that uh koreans like their coffee weak okay so if you like your coffee mildly flavorful get an espresso over there what was the oh tom and tom's was the chain there don't remember and they have them here they do they have them in korea yeah right down wilshire yeah they do have uh they got starbucks there now they got um they don't have a pizza what's the other one coffee bean they got oh they do have coffee bean they have all the major chains um that are here they got them over there now yeah i heard they're opening up a taco store a taco stand over there (laughs) really yeah well we can get kimchi tacos right down the street here yeah (laughs) <laughs> so it's pretty interesting. Korea is a now they're, they're they export their pop culture. They make movies, they make uh, music, and they export. Uh, they, they got the Korean equivalent of the uh, Mexican novella. Oh, the, the soap, soap operas. operas? Yeah, yeah. yeah like, people are addicted to those things. Oh yeah, and they're really kind of violent. I saw one. Yeah, they're really. Tr- but yeah, people get totally addicted to those things. And <laughs> I I have I met this lady on my. Uh, weekly trip going up to San Francisco, She's she doesn't speak Korean. She doesn't know any Koreans, but somebody turned her on to this Korean soap opera and she, and she got it with subtitles and she's totally hooked on it. It's not even in English, <laughs> but she says they're really good. And there's some Korean uh, pop star, I guess one of the biggest in the world. Is it um, Rain? Is that... Is, yeah, he, they, he just came out Korean? with a movie a couple years ago. He didn't, it didn't do so well. But he's like massive over there. He is massive. Yeah, but they they have tours of the the Korean uh, pop stars, and they come to the states and they sell out. They'll do it like a two. Day, in fact, they did a couple day show. Over it's a here. lot of boy bands and girl bands. Uh huh. And they they I remember one of them that was really popular did a two or three day show with the uh, the Wiltern, 
packed, sold out. You could not get a ticket. And they, they'll go to different cities in the U.S. and Europe, and, and they, they do well. Well, we got to plan our next trip. Wednesday, uh, we keep saying for years, I finally went to Belize without you. Yeah, I know, the blue hole. Because we uh, scuba dive, and uh, I couldn't wait for you anymore. I, know, I, know, I hear you. All right, we got to plan it. Yep. Oh, you, you want to go to Scotland? Yeah, I want to do the Scotland. So I want to get that. I have to get, find a motorcycle, first of all. And then uh, I want to do the motorcycle through starting in London and going up through Scotland, play some golf, drink a lot of scotch. Get back on the bike. Get back on the bike. No. Uh, so you, now yeah. this is where you get a designated driver. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping these places are in the middle of nowhere, so nobody's going to notice if I fall off my bike. Yeah. yeah. Just remember to drive on the left side. Left side of the road. Right. Left side. Yeah. Everything's kilometers. Not, not, but yeah, that's, and then play golf. That, That'd be an awesome trip. That sounds nice. like a guy trip the more I think of it. Oh, this is a definite guy trip. Yeah. But I don't... Uh, I would go on that, but I don't ride motorcycles. So. I've never been to Scotland, um, but I heard it's beautiful. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, love scotch. Love to play golf. Birthplace of golf. And... It sounds like your place. Yeah. I, when I went to London, I, kept, I I was walking around and thinking, hey, this is okay, but I really wanted to meet the British people. Okay. Like British, British people, right? English, English people. Get out in the country. You got to yeah, get out. Yeah, but everybody in London, London is from everywhere. Everybody, it's like in a complete international it's city. It's like going to New York to try to meet Americans. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, some people here are Americans, but there's a lot of people that aren't, right? So I wanted to, and then I finally made it outside of London. I went to Windsor, and you have a lot of tourists there, but you know, you go to places yeah. you can actually bump into locals. It was cool. Start getting up north into the Midlands and all that stuff. And yeah. You get some down home, serious. Yeah. No, no, you'd love it. It sounds like a great trip. I'll have it. to follow along in a car, though. Going to do it. <laughs> right. You can be the chase car with the spare part. Exactly. The <laughs> Paul Chu, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming, man. I appreciate My it. My pleasure. Yes, I'm a traveling